Section 7 of The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 5, edited by Francis Ralt Wheeler. Biology, Chapter 5, Cell Life, Part 1. In the two preceding chapters, living substance has been spoken of as existing in separate organic individuals, plants and animals. It is not known to exist in a mass not organized as an individual plant or animal. Many early philosophers did conceive of living matter as existing without individualization. Thus Oaken, 1805, in his Urschlime theory, when he says that every organic thing came from primitive slime, which originated in the sea from organic matter in the course of planetary evolution, simply repeated an idea passed down by the Greek philosopher Anaximenes and others. Haeckel's theory of the Monera as the simplest living things allies him to this belief. He says, in the Monera, the simplest conceivable organisms, the whole body consists merely of plasm, corresponding to the primitive slime of the earlier natural philosophers. And again, in the natural history of creation, he describes the monera as simple, soft, albuminous lumps, without component parts, whose whole albuminous body is as homogeneous in itself as an inorganic crystal. Huxley also for a time supported this view. In 1869, he described a peculiar sticky mud from the bottom of the Atlantic. The stickiness was apparently due to the presence of innumerable lumps of a transparent, gelatinous substance without discoverable nuclei or membranous envelopes. Huxley interpreted this matter to be masses of protoplasm. He thought it a new form of the simple animate things, Monera, which had been described by Haeckel, and therefore named it Bathybius Haeckelii. Haeckel himself examined the mud and agreed with Huxley's interpretation. Later studies, however, convinced Huxley that the slime was in reality some sort of inorganic precipitate, and at the British Association meeting in 1879, he made a public renunciation of Bathybius. Leaving this interesting historical conception of living matter in extensive, undifferentiated masses, the idea of the individualization of living substance prevails in modern biological science. An organic individual is a unitary mass of living substance. Microscopic study of plants and animals shows them to be made up of these unitary masses, the cells. An illustration will make this point clear. Dissection shows that an organ of an animal's body is composed of several building materials or tissues, such as muscular tissue, nervous tissue, bony tissue, etc. The microscopic study of these tissues reveals the fact that they are composed of small masses of protoplasm, the cells. Hence a plant or animal with several tissues is a multicellular organism. There are many simple plants and animals whose body consists of a single cell, and these are called unicellular animals. Every such simple organism is an individual. The cell then is the lowest stage of individuality. It is true, as will be explained in detail later, that the microscope reveals different structures in cells. Especially characteristic are the main body of the cell, the cytoplasm, 
and the nucleus embedded in it. This suggests the possibility that the cell is composed of still lower individuals. However, many studies have shown that neither nucleus nor cytoplasm can exist independently, and hence they cannot be regarded as unit masses or individuals. The cell is the lowest stage of individuality known to modern biology. Looking at the organic world synthetically, the cell stands prominent in a scheme of the five stages of individuality found there. Individuals of the first order are cells. They represent elementary organisms that are not composed of lower units capable of life. An example is any unicellular animal or plant. Individuals of the second order are tissues. The tissues are associations of individuals of the first order, each one of which is like the others. Examples are muscular and nervous tissues of an animal, the conducting and supporting tissues of a plant. Individuals of the third order are organs. The organs are associations of various kinds of individuals of the second order. Examples are the stomach and heart of an animal, the leaf and root of a plant. Individuals of the fourth order are complex organisms. These are associations of various individuals of the third order. Examples are common animals and plants whose bodies consist of organs united. Individuals of the fifth order are communities. The communities are associations of the individuals of the fourth order. It should be noted that an individual of a higher order consists of an assemblage of those of the next lower order. Thus communities consist of persons, persons of organs, organs of tissues, and tissues of cells. In the end, all living individual plants and animals are composed of cells, and the cell is the seat of those events, the expression of which is life. The cell is the life unit, the elementary organism, or as Virchow has said, the vital elementary unit. The realization that it is in the cell that the answers to the great problems of biology are to be found is quite modern. Nevertheless, this fact has already profoundly modified many phases of the science of life. Professor Wilson of Columbia University, justly regarded as one of the foremost biologists who have worked at the problem of cytology or the biology of cells, has well outlined the influence of the cell theory on modern biology. He says, it was the cell theory that first brought the structure of plants and animals under one point of view by revealing their common plan of organization. It was through the cell theory that Kolliker, Remach, Nageli, and Hofmeister opened the way to an understanding of the nature of embryonic development and the law of genetic continuity lying at the basis of inheritance. It was the cell theory again which, in the hands of Goodsir, Virchow, and Max Schultze, inaugurated a new era in the history of physiology and pathology by showing that all the various functions of the body, in health and in disease, are but the outward expression of cell activities. And at a still later day, it was through the cell theory that Hertzwig, Full, Van Beneden, and Strasberger solved the long-standing riddle of the fertilization of the egg and the mechanism of hereditary transmission. No other biological generalization, save only the theory of organic evolution, has brought so many apparently diverse phenomena under a common point of view, or has accomplished more for the unification of knowledge. 
the cell theory must therefore be placed beside the evolution theory as one of the foundational stones of modern biology the history of the development of the idea that cells are the elementary units of living matter is essential to an understanding of present-day problems and therefore a rapid survey of the important historical points may be made these have been well traced by oscar hertzwig professor at berlin in his famous die Ziele und die Gewebe. the conception or idea connected with the word cell used scientifically he says has been considerably altered during the last fifty years the history of the various changes in this conception or the history of the cell theory is of great interest and nothing could be more suitable than to give a short account of this history in order to introduce the beginner to the series of conceptions connected with the word cells this indeed may prove useful in other directions for while on the one hand we see how the conception of the cell which is at present accepted has developed gradually out of the older and less complete conceptions we realize on the other hand that we cannot regard it as final or perfect but on the contrary we have every ground to hope that better and more delicate methods of investigation due partly to improved optical instruments may greatly add to our present knowledge and may perhaps enrich it with a quite new series of conceptions the theory that organisms are composed of cells was first suggested by the study of plant structure at the end of the seventeenth century the italian marcellus malpighi and the englishman grew gained the first insight into the more delicate structure of plants by means of low magnifying powers they discovered in the first place small room-like spaces provided with firm walls and filled with fluid the cells and in the second various kinds of long tubes which in most parts are embedded in the ground tissue and which from their appearance are now called spiral ducts or vessels much greater importance however was attached to these facts after the investigations which were carried on in a more philosophical spirit by bonn toward the end of the eighteenth century were published caspar friedrich wolff oken and others raised the question of the development of plants and endeavored to show the ducts and vessels originated in cells above all trevor rannis rendered important service by proving in his treatise entitled vom in de wiegen bau der Wigoske, published in eighteen o eight that vessels develop from cells the study of the lowest plants has also proved of the greatest importance in establishing the cell theory small algae were observed which during their whole lifetime remain either single cells or consist of simple rows of cells easily to be separated from one another finally the study of the metabolism of plants led investigators to believe that in the economy of the plant it is the cell which absorbs the nutrient substances elaborates them and gives them up in an altered form thus at the beginning of the last century the cell was recognized by many investigators as the morphological and physiological elementary unit of the plant these views however only obtained general acceptance after the year eighteen thirty eight when m Slyden, who is so frequently cited as the founder of the cell theory published in muller's archives his famous paper by zur phytogenesis in this paper Schleiden endeavored to explain the mystery of cell formation he thought he had found the key to the difficulty in the discovery of the english botanist 
r brown who in the year eighteen thirty three while making investigations upon orchids discovered nuclei schleiden made further discoveries in this direction he showed that nuclei are present in many plants and as they are invariably found in young cells the idea occurred to him that the nucleus must have a near connection with the mysterious beginning of the cell and in consequence must be of great importance in its life history the way in which schleiden made use of this idea which was based upon erroneous observations to build up a theory of phytogenesis must now be regarded as a mistake on the other hand it must not be forgotten that his perception of the general importance of the nucleus was correct up to a certain point and that this one idea has in itself exerted an influence far beyond the narrow limits of the science of botany for it was owing to this that the cell theory was first applied to animal tissues for it is just in animal tissues that the nuclei stand out most distinctly from among all the other cell contents thus showing most evidently the similarity between the histological elements of plants and animals thus this little treatise of schleiden's in eighteen thirty eight marks an important historical turning point and since this time the most important work in the building up of the cell theory has been done upon animal tissues attempts to represent the animal body as consisting of a large number of extremely minute elements had been made before schleiden's time as is shown by the hypotheses of oaken hughsinger rapspale and many other writers however it was impossible to develop these theories further since they were based upon so many incorrect observations and false deductions that the good in them was outweighed by their errors schwann however was the first to attempt to frame a really comprehensive cell theory which should refer to all kinds of animal tissues during the year eighteen thirty eight schwann in the course of a conversation with schleiden was informed of the new theory of cell formation and of the importance which was attached to the nucleus in plant cells it immediately struck him as he himself relates that there are a great many points of resemblance between animal and vegetable cells he therefore with most praiseworthy energy set on foot a comprehensive series of experiments the results of which he published in eighteen thirty nine thus schwann originated a theory which although imperfect in many respects yet is applicable both to plants and animals and which further is easily understood and in main correct according to this theory every part of the animal body is either built up of elements corresponding to the plant cells massed together or is derived from such elements which have undergone certain metamorphoses this theory has formed a satisfactory foundation upon which many further investigations have been based however it has been mentioned already the conception which schleiden and schwann formed of the plant and animal element was incorrect in many respects they both defined the cell as a small vesicle with a firm membrane enclosing fluid contents that is to say as a small chamber or cellula in the true sense of the word they considered the membrane to be the most important and essential part of the vesicle for they thought in consequence of its chemical physical properties it related to the metabolism of the cell the series of conceptions which now associate with the word cell are thanks to the great progress made during the last fifty years essentially different from the above 
Schleiden and Schwann's cell theory has undergone a radical reform, having been superseded by the protoplasmic theory, which is especially associated with the name of Max Schultze. The history of the protoplasmic theory is also of supreme interest. Even Schleiden observed in the plant cell, in addition to the cell sap, a delicate transparent substance containing small granules. This substance he called plant slime. In the year 1846, Mole called it protoplasm, a name which has since become so significant, and which before had been used by Perkina for the substance of which the youngest animal embryos are formed. Further, he presented a new picture of the living appearance of plant protoplasm. He discovered that it completely filled up the interior of young plant cells, and that in larger and older cells it absorbed fluid, which collected into droplets or vacuoles. Finally, Mole established the fact that protoplasm, as has been already stated by Schleiden about the plant slime, shows strikingly peculiar movements. These were first discovered in the year 1772 by Bonaventure Cordy, and later in 1807 by C. L. Treviranus, and were described as the circulatory movements of the plant sap. By degrees, further discoveries were made, which added to the importance attached to these protoplasmic contents of the cell. In the lowest algae, as observed by Kahn and others, the protoplasm draws itself away from the cell membrane at the time of reproduction and forms a naked oval body, the swarm spore, which lies freely in the cell cavity. This swarm spore soon breaks down the membrane at one spot, after which it creeps out through the opening and swims about in the water by means of its cilia, like an independent organism, but it has no cell membrane. Similar facts were discovered through the study of the animal cell, which could not be reconciled with the old conception of the cell. A few years after the enunciation of Schwann's theory, various investigators, Kolliker, Weishoff, and others, observed many animal cells in which no distinct membrane could be discovered, and in consequence, a lengthy dispute arose as to whether these bodies were really without membranes, and hence not cells, or whether they were true cells. Further, movements similar to those seen in plant protoplasm were discovered in the granular ground substance of certain animal cells, such as the lymph corpuscles. In consequence, Remock applied the term protoplasm, which Mole had already made use of for plant cells, to the ground substance of animal cells. Important insight into the nature of protoplasm was afforded by the study of the lowest organism, rhizopoda, or amoeba, myxomycetes, etc. Dujardin had called the slimy, granular, contractile substance of which they are composed, sarcodae. Subsequently, Max Schultze and de Berry proved, after most careful investigation, that the protoplasm of plants and animals and the sarcoda of the lowest organism are identical. In consequence of these discoveries, investigators such as Nigeli, Alexander Braun, Leidig, Kolliker, Kahn, Deberry, etc., considered the cell membrane to be of but minor importance in comparison to its contents. However, the credit is due to Max Schultze, above all others, of having made use of these later discoveries in subjecting the cell theory of Schleiden and Schwann to a searching, critical examination and of founding a protoplasmic theory. He attacked the former articles of belief 
which it was necessary to renounce, in four excellent, though short papers, the first of which was published in the year 1860. He based his theory that the cell membrane is not an essential part of the elementary organisms of plants and animals on the following three facts. First, that a certain substance, the protoplasm of plants and animals, and the sarcoda of the simplest forms, which may be recognized by its peculiar phenomena of movement, is found in all organisms. Secondly, that although as a rule, the protoplasm of plants is surrounded by a special firm membrane, yet under certain conditions, it is able to become divested of this membrane and to swim about in water, as in the case of naked swarm spores. And finally, that animal cells and the lowest unicellular organisms very frequently possess no cell membrane, but appear as naked protoplasm and naked sarcoda. It is true that he retains the term cell, which was introduced into anatomical language by Schleiden and Schwann, but he defines it as a small mass of protoplasm endowed with the attributes of life. Hence it is evident that the term cell is incorrect, that it, nevertheless, has been retained, may be partly ascribed to a kind of loyalty to the vigorous combatants, who, as Bruca expresses it, conquered the whole field of histology under the banner of the cell theory, and partly to the circumstance that the discoveries which brought about the new reform were only made by degrees, and were only generally accepted at a time when, in consequence of its having been used for several decades of years, the word cell had taken firm root in the literature of the subject. End of section 7